We're going to hustle at the beginning of this sermon because I got a lot to say and very little time to say it. So get your pens, paper, get your phone, whatever you can take notes on. I'm just going to I'm going to go right to the whole sermon in three points, and then I'm going to give you the whole, I'm going to, the whole rest of the sermon. I'm just going to prove these points to be true. Three things that you need to know what the Lord wants to teach you this morning. I'm give them to you right up front. Number one, God's greatest gift is His presence. The, the greatest thing, the absolute greatest thing God has to give you isn't a winning lotto ticket. It's not, it's not even answering your prayers for health or to restore your marriage. Go ahead and keep that back up on, on the screen. Let's keep it up long enough. There you go. God's, God's greatest gift he can give you is himself, his presence. The greatest delight you will ever have in this, in this world is when you experience the thick presence of God. In, any of you ever had that moment before where you're just like, you're just consumed in the presence of God? It doesn't, it doesn't Some of you happen on Sunday morning in times of worship. Some of you happen this morning. You just sense God so strong, you don't want to be anywhere else. By the way, all of eternity is getting to experience that in an unfiltered way. God's greatest gift is when he gives you himself. Point number two, we are always either walking toward God's presence or away from his presence. Always. You are never static. You are never in the same place and for too long, you're taking a step toward God or away from God. Every single moment, right here, right now, this morning, by the time this service is done, you will take a step toward God or away from God. You will not stay in the same place as when you came in here. And you're going, okay, I want to take a step toward God. Well, that leads to point number three. God's presence is always found on the other side of obedience. You want to know how to take a step toward God? Obey him. The gift of God's presence, that thing that you most need, is found on the other side of obedience. So what you're going to discover this morning is that this sermon isn't so much about adoption or foster care or stand Sunday. It's way more about obedience. Learning the three lessons I just gave you the easy way instead of the hard way. Because there is an easy way to learn those three things, and there is a hard way to learn them. And most of us are foolish enough to learn the hard way. We're going to read a story, a well-known story, about a man who learned those things the hard way. His name was Jonah. I want you to open your Bibles to the book of Jonah, chapter 1. Now, if you don't know where Jonah is and you've got a physical Bible, it's like two-thirds of the way through. It's in the Minor Prophets. Just keep thumbing through or go to the table of contents at the beginning. If you've got your app on your phone, just look for Jonah, about two-thirds through the list. And it's a story that most of us in this room are familiar with to some degree or another. But, but when you think of Jonah... What do you think of? What's the first thing that comes to your mind? A big fish. Well, whatever, like this, a dude being swallowed by a big old fish. That's what everybody thinks of when they think of Jonah. And, and our, before we jump into it, I want to deal with kind of the elephant in the room of any discussion with Jonah. Like, how in the world can a human being be swallowed by a fish and live there three days and three nights and then spit out and be okay? I mean, God, just honest, like if we're intelligent people, how do you get past that? And there are some people who don't try to get past that. So they just go, it's just allegory, it's just metaphor, whatever. It didn't really happen. But for those of us who believe the Word of God is speaking about historical events, what do we do with that? For the longest time, I was kind of disturbed by this because I couldn't find answers, did a lot of research. There's all these weird theories out there until I remembered, oh, yeah, my God is a supernatural God. And so, so here, here's what we're going to do. I just want to, I want to remind you about the God that most of you in here believe as a supernatural God, the same God that can raise a dude up from the dead, that can give sight to the blind, that can 
cast out leprosy like that, that same God that has no scientific explanation for those things is the same God who can keep somebody alive three days in the belly of a fish. It's because it's a miracle. The, the, the laws of physics and science bend to the sovereign God. So we don't have to have an explanation scientifically of how it worked. It's a miracle. So you can kind of cast that issue aside and just read the story for what it's worth. Because actually, interestingly enough, the 48 verses that make up the book of Jonah, only three of them mention the fish. It's not really a story about a dude being swallowed by a fish. It's a story about a call from God, disobedience, and second chances. That's what it's really about. So with, with that in your mind, let's jump in. Jonah chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. We're going to read just the first three verses. Here's what it says. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with him to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. I'm, I'm going to pause right there. Uh, th this part right here has a lot to it that you might not fully understand because you don't know who Jonah is. I mean, you, you know the story, you know about the fish, but you don't really know who Jonah is. This guy, Jonah, son of Amittai, this is not the first mention of him. He actually comes in 2 Kings chapter 14, verse 25. I'm not, I'm not going to flip over there. But basically, you see him come onto the scene, and this dude is a brave, valiant, fearless prophet of God. Back in, in 2 Kings chapter 14, he receives a word from the Lord. God calls him to go to Jeroboam, the king of Israel, the most powerful man of Israel, and to call out his sin. To call out Jeroboam to make reforms in the country to better the land of Israel. And this guy, Jonah, the son of Amittai, is brave enough and bold enough to go to the king of Israel and tell him to repent. And he does. So Jonah, he's kind of this national hero among the Israelites because of his bravery and his obedience, his valor as a prophet of God. So it's not at all unusual that Jonah would get a word from the Lord. That's what prophets got. What's unusual is the way he responds this time. I mean, the wording of it is intended to be precise. In verse 2, God says, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it. In verse 3, it says, And Jonah arose and fled to Tarshish. He did the exact opposite of what God told him to do. A little bit of help for you, kind of geographically. I'm going I'm to have to make the map backwards so it makes sense to you. But here you have Israel, and then up here is the city of Nineveh. It's, it's like about 500 miles kind of northeast from where Israel is at. But Tarshish is nowhere near Nineveh. Now, we don't fully know where Tarshish is, but most believe it's kind of in the southern part of the, of the nation of Spain, which is about 2,000 miles due west when he was supposed to go 500 miles northeast. In other words, he's not trying to get a little bit away from God's call. He is literally trying to get to the other side of the world. I mean, he, the, Spain is the other side of the known world to them. He's trying to get as far away as he can from God's call. Now, I think when you hear that, the question that should come up to you is, why in the world, with this brave, valiant prophet of God who was willing to go to Jeroboam and call out his sin, not be willing to go to Nineveh to call out their sin? What made him disobey? And I think the answer to that question is when this starts to get really applicable to us today. Here's the reason why. It's because he didn't agree with God's call in his life. He thought God was wrong. You, you don't realize this until you get to chapter 4. But in chapter 4, he, finally in chapter 3, he goes to Nineveh. God moves in power. And then Jonah finally says, see, that's why I didn't want to go. I knew you'd show them mercy, and they don't deserve your mercy. 
So you come back to chapter one, and now you realize why he doesn't go. Because ultimately, he's looking God in the face, and he's saying, God, you're wrong. I'm right. I'm not going to Nineveh. Now listen, I want you to understand something you probably don't think about. Every time you disobey God, it is a defiant act of looking God in the face and saying, God, you're wrong. I'm right. I'm going my way, not your way. Now, none of us are dumb enough to actually say that to God, but our actions scream it. Every time God calls us, the word of the Lord comes, whether it's through what his word tells us to do or in a time of prayer, God calls us to take a step of faith. Every time we say, I'm going to do something else, that's disobedience, we are looking God in the face saying, God, you're wrong, I'm right, my way is better. That's what it meant for him to go to Tarshish. God, you're wrong, they don't deserve your mercy, and I'm not going. Disobedience is defiance against God. And we got to call it what it is because there are times in our lives when God calls us to do something and we say no. We are telling God, you don't know what you're talking about. I know better. Let's just call it what it is. And then let's go ahead and prepare ourselves for the consequences that come from the stupidity of disobedience. Because let me go ahead and forewarn you, there are always consequences for disobedience. Jonah's about to learn that the hard way in verses 4 through 17. Let's continue on with the story. Chapter 1, verse 4. I'm going to read fast. But the, the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God, and they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, Tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation, and where do you come from? What is your country, and of what people are you? And he said to them, I'm a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, What is this that you've done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. Then they said to him, What shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. He said to them, Pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it's because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land, but they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life, and lay not on us innocent blood, for you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. And the Lord appeared, the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Okay, we're gonna pause there. So this is where we finally get introduced to the fish. And the fish is a clear consequence for disobedience. But I want you to understand really what the fish is. The fish is Jonah learning the lesson of God the hard way. It's a lesson he shouldn't have had to learn because he already knew. I mean, you go back to what he says to the men. They said, who are you? He says, I'm a Hebrew and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. And they start freaking out. Holy moly, it's your fault. Because you serve the God who made the sea. Jonah knew he served the God who made the sea. And where does he go to get away from God? The sea. That's the dumbest thing ever. 
But this is what happens when we think we know better than God. We think somehow we can avoid God's call. And we just heap stupidity, with stupidity, we heap trouble after trouble upon ourselves. We should know better. Our God is the God of the universe. We cannot flee from him. We should know better. And yet we try to run away. This is what's going on right here. He's experiencing disobedience in the belly of the fish. Now, I want to pause. And I want to say something I am certain of with the hundreds and hundreds of people in this room. There are some of you right now, and you are in the belly of a fish because of your disobedience. You are experiencing the consequences of your disobedience. Now, you can blame somebody else. You can blame circumstances. You, you can blame society. You can blame that person who hurt you. But I'll bet if you really did the hard work of going back to where it started, you'd realize some act of disobedience brought you down to the belly of the fish. Now, I'm not saying, please hear me, I'm not saying that every single one of you who's suffering is because of disobedience. There are times we suffer because of someone else's disobedience or because of something God is doing. But I am sure there are some of you in this room, there are some of you watching online, and you are suffering right now, you are in the belly of the fish because of your own disobedience. If that's you, I've got some good news for you. I love what R.T. Kendall, he's a Bible scholar, he had to say about it. He said, the belly of the fish is a terrible place to live, but it's a great place to learn. And right now, if you're in the belly of a fish, you don't want to stay there too long. You don't want to live there, but you you should learn from that moment you're in. Because there's something about being in that moment of desperation. The belly of the fish, where you finally wake up where a switch can finally flip when you're in that moment of desperation where you'll do what you weren't doing before. Because what you see in Jonah when he's in the belly of the fish is when he finally wakes up. He finally does what he had refused to do for a whole chapter. He prays. I want you to listen to how it moves on in chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. We're going to read the whole chapter. Here's what it says. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight, yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped about my head at the roots of the mountains. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love, but I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. Now, I want you to consider his prayer. I could spend a long time picking apart all the nuances of this prayer because it's a profound thing. There are actually some parts of it that are really confusing. I remember the first time I read this, I got confused because I couldn't tell where Jonah was. There were sometimes he talks about being in the sea and the in the deep and the waters over him, and then it talks like he's actually in the earth. It talks about being him in the, in the roots of the mountains. He went down to the land. He had to be rescued from the pit. He talks about being in the deep, and then he talks about being in Sheol, and it kind of confuses being in land and being in sea. I'm going to explain later on why that is. But it can be kind of confusing if you don't simplify it. So the main point of chapter 2 is what Jonah does, the thing he'd been refusing to do in the whole chapter before. The very first verse, then 
Jonah prayed to the Lord his God out of the belly of the fish. The one thing Jonah absolutely refused to do in chapter 1 was pray. It's interesting. You got these pagans, all these people on this ship on their way to Tarshish. None of them are Hebrews. None of them believe in Yahweh God. And they're all praying like crazy. Whenever the storm comes and the ship is breaking up, it says, each man cried out to his God. You know where Jonah is? He's inside the boat fast asleep. The captain comes down to him and says, what are you doing? Get up and cry out to your God. Maybe your God can do something. And what's interesting is it still doesn't say anything about Jonah praying. Everyone else is praying. The captain is telling him to pray. He refuses to pray. You want to know why? Because he doesn't want to come to the feet of the God he knows he's disobeying. I'm going to give you another principle. You may want to write this one down. The classic sign of disobedience is prayerlessness. Those of us who find ourselves unmotivated, unwilling to pray, oftentimes it's because we know we don't want to go to the feet of the God that we are disobeying. The last place we want to be is sitting at his feet while we're willfully disobeying his command. This is why Jonah refuses to pray. Prayerlessness is a classic sign of disobedience. And he knows he's running away from God. And so he's not just fleeing his assignment, he's fleeing his God. It's actually what it said back in verse 3. God says, arise, go to Nineveh. And it said, he arose and fled to Tarshish. Then it says, away from the presence of the Lord. The very end of verse 3, it says, he got on a ship to go with him to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. Twice in one verse. If you want to know what it says literally in Hebrew, it says he's fleeing away from the face of Yahweh. He doesn't want to be anywhere near his God because he's disobeying this God. Listen, disobedience isn't just us saying, I don't want your assignment. It's saying, I don't want to be with you, God. It alienates us from the presence of God. This is why I said what I said before. You are always either taking a step toward God or away from God. And God is always found. His presence is always found on the other side of obedience. Because when we obey, we take a step toward him. When we disobey, we take a step away from him. Now, it's not that we can actually get anywhere away from God because God's omnipresent. God was in Tarshish, just like he was in Israel, just like he was in Nineveh. But what we're doing is we're severing our sense of the presence of God when we disobey. That's what Jonah was doing. He wanted to get away from the face of God. He would not pray until he got into the belly of the fish, until he finally was broken and desperate and overwhelmed. In that moment, he finally gives up and says, I, I, I raised my white flag. Oh, God, I need you. He said, I called out to the Lord in my distress, and he answered me. It took distress and brokenness, the belly of the fish, for him to cry out to God. So here's what I want to say to you. If this morning you find yourself in the belly of the fish, I know it stinks, but it's the place you need to be to finally call out to God. Maybe you will be broken enough today to say, oh God, help me. Oh God, I need you. I want you. I'm not going to run from you. I'm going to run to you. And if you choose to do that, you're going to discover the greatest truth of this whole passage. Our God is a God of second chances. That's what you see in the book of Jonah. We're going to finish up in just the first three verses of chapter three. We'll do the next two. We'll do all of chapter three and four next week. But I want you to listen to what God does in response to his prayer. Chapter three, verse one. It says, then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the, son, the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh. 
We're going to stop there. Now, I want you to notice how similar chapter 3, verses 1 through 3 are, to chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. They are almost identical. If you were to go look at them in the Hebrew language, in the sentence structure, and the way they're written, they are almost identical. Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it. The only difference is really, it says, and God, the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. And then he says the same thing. And the reason why it's almost verbatim is because this is God saying, I'm giving you a second chance. Yeah, you screwed up the first time, Jonah, but you humbled yourself, you came to me. Here's another crack at it. It says the exact same wording, arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it. And praise God this time, Jonah arose and went to Nineveh. He had learned the lesson, but he learned it the hard way. Here's what I want you to learn today. My God, your God, is the God of second chances. My God is the God of third chances. My God is the God of fourth chances. You better amen louder. We're going to go along with my God is a God of fifth chances and sixth chances and seventh chances. My God is a God of a million chances. His mercy never runs dry. There are about 12 of you in here that believe that. And I, don't, I don't know if you're struggling with it because you're going, I don't know. I don't feel that. I want to ask you to trust God's word. He is a God who will give you chance after chance after chance if you will only come to him humbly. And say, oh God, I can't do this without you. I need you. He is always close to the contrite of heart, those who need him. And he will come to you in mercy over and over and over. For some of you here today, maybe some of you watching online, that's the best news you could ever hear. But God wants you to learn that lesson on dry land. He didn't want you to have to go to the belly of the fish to learn that he's a God of mercy and grace to learn that his presence is your greatest gift. All you gotta do is obey him to find it. He wants you to learn it by faith, not going into desperation and brokenness to get there. So you're gonna learn this lesson the easy way or the hard way. Obedience is the way of life. Are you gonna choose to obey? Listen, I could apply this particular message in about a million different ways today. But today is Stan Sunday. And so I, I want to I apply it real precisely in one particular area, because this is something I've been praying about a lot. I believe there are some of you in this room, and God has been calling your family to go on the crazy, beautiful, wild journey of bringing a child into your home through adoption or foster care. Just like Jonah, now the word of the Lord has come to you, maybe in a time of prayer, maybe in one of the services, and you have been stiff-arming God. God is saying, I want you to go on this beautiful journey, and you're somewhere in Tarshish right now, fleeing from the presence of God. And let me tell you why. Because you're going, I, I don't know how to make this happen. There's no way I could afford the costs of, of bringing a child into my home. I, I'm not that good of a parent to start with, much less put another child in my home. I, I just can't do it. I, my life is too complicated right now. I'm, I'm, I'm beyond the age of somebody who can bring a child into my home. I just can't do it. We have all these excuses, and in the end, we don't even realize when God is calling us that we're looking God in the face and we're going, God, you're wrong, I'm right, I'm not doing it. And I just wonder if some of you wouldn't choose today to learn the easy way instead of the hard way that God's presence is always found on the other side of obedience. I'm not promising you this would be easy to take the step. I would be a liar 
and a, a scoundrel if I told you this step is easy. But I can promise you, you'll find God's presence on the other side of obedience. I had lunch with a friend of mine just a couple of weeks ago, and he brought a child into his home, and he's had a very difficult situation. It's, it's been gut-wrenching and painful and hard. And I looked him in the eyes as he and I talked, and I said, be honest with me, man. It, like you, if you could do it all over again, would you? Without hesitation, he said, I absolutely would. And here's the reason why, Jason. God called me to do it, and I've grown so much in my understanding of who God is through it. I've seen God in it, Jason, and I would do it a million times over. I'm not promising you it's going to be easy, but I'm promising you you're going to discover the presence of God on the other side of that step of obedience. And if you're hungry enough for God, then maybe you'll stop running from what he's calling you to do and take a step toward Nineveh instead of Tarshish. I, I don't know if you know this, but right now as a church, we have seen God do so much already. We, we've seen God over the last six and, a half, and six and a half years bring 172 children into homes in our church alone through adoption and foster care. Praise God. Jared Yates and his wife, Jamie, had the opportunity to share this uh, in Nashville uh, last week and got this massive round of applause, uh, continue, continuing applause because of what's happening in our church. And I think sometimes we just kind of blow past it going, but there's more children. And don't stop and realize what God is doing. And I, I want to rejoice in what God is doing. But I also, I want you to hear this. Right now in our city, there are over 300 children who are in need of a home right here around us. 300 precious children created in the image of God right now who don't have parents who can care for them. Their, their parents' parental rights have been severed. No cause of theirs. It was done around them. And right now, either, either because they're older, because they have special needs, or because they're sibling groups, they're, they're struggling to find a forever family. And I think God is calling us to advocate on behalf of these children. We have a partnership with an organization called Hope Local. And in the part of that partnership, they let us advocate for just, just a few children, eight children in particular. And this morning, we're going to advocate for one of these particular children. In fact, we, we made a video of, his, of this child. His name is Aiden. And I want you to learn about him because I think God may call maybe one of you to bring him into your home, but all of us to advocate on behalf of this child. I want you to watch this video. Let's learn the story of Aiden. My name is Aiden and I'm nine years old. My type of family I like is having a sister and a dad and a mother and a pet dog. I want to have one sibling that's a sister that I can help out and do stuff with her. Like if they need help with something they can't like do and they cannot reach and stuff and then I can help them out. The things that make me happy is um, getting like really new, nice friends and getting along with them. My favorite color is red because it's the color of cotton candy. I like Hershey Kisses and Hershey's bars and Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. I like those. My favorite food is uh, probably meat. I like chicken. With my mom, I like to have movie nights and go get ice cream on Sundays and hugging each other every day. With my dad, I would like to play video games and go out to play football with him. Three things about me is I'm strong and I'm funny and I'm kind. My perfect day will look like 
having a birthday and having my friends come over to uh, play and eat, and eat and stuff and maybe go to a movie theater and watch movies. Their church can pray for me that I can have friends and a nice family. This is, Aiden is a real child right here in our community. And I think the Lord is calling us to advocate for Aiden. So when you walk out of the room in a bit, we still have a few things to deal with in here, but you'll be passed out a card that looks like this. It'll be English one side, Spanish on the other. It's got a picture of Aiden. Then it's got a QR code. That QR code is a way for you to scan to get the same video you just watched so that you can share it on social media. You can go out and say, listen, this is a precious child who needs a home if there's anyone interested, here's a way to find out more information. And this is how we advocate for him. Also, you're going to see on here, there's a, a way to pray for him. All of us can do. He already told us what he wants us to pray for, for friends and for a family. There's some other ways that we can pray for him. You're going to get this card to know how to do it. But at the very bottom, there's a little thing that says adopt. There may be someone in here, and the word of the Lord is coming to you saying, that child is supposed to be my child. Then you get to go down here in the bottom, and it says hopenow.hopelocal.com. And you can go over there, and you can actually fill out a form of inquiry just to see if this could be a possibility for you. Listen, I know that's a scary thing to do, and I want to make sure you understand very clearly, if you fill this form out, Aiden will not be on your doorstep tonight. That's not how this thing works. There's a lot of work to get there. Going to this website is you taking a step toward Nineveh instead of a step toward Tarshish. Listen, if the, Lord, if the Lord is calling you to take a step into this, and I want you to know, you're going, well, maybe somebody else will do it. Like I told you, there are 300 children in our community alone who need homes. We will not exhaust the amount of children that need homes. God is just saying, would you be willing to take a step in the right direction, to consider what it would mean to bring a child into our home? On Wednesday night, when we had a prayer gathering, we were praying over eight children by name. And my heart was so stirred because these are real children who long for a home. I don't know. I don't know if this would ever happen. Well, what if one day Aiden's walking through the hallways of our church because one family in here said yes? How beautiful would that be? I, I don't know what God is doing, but I know God speaks. And the question is, will you listen? Will you obey? But now I'm going to go back to one last thing before we finish up here, and I want to make sure you don't do it for the wrong reason. Guilt shame, thinking this is what good Christians do, those are terrible reasons to bring a child into your home. One of the worst reasons somebody could do this is to go, well, I've sinned a lot in my past, maybe this will make up for the bad that I've done. Please, please don't take a step into this for those reasons. The book of Jonah starts with, now the word of the Lord came to Jonah. It's a calling. Now there's some of you the Lord is calling. That's the ones I'm talking to. You are the ones I'm talking to. But here's the best news you're ever going to hear. You don't have to adopt a child to be made right with God. You don't have to give any money to a church to be made right with God. You don't have to, to do any kind of service project to be made right with God, pray any number of prayers, do anything on your own to be made right with God. You don't have to pay the price because Jesus already paid it. Amen. And you have to understand this fully before you can move on. In fact, the whole book of Jonah is not ultimately about the power of obedience it's a foreshadowing of the one who would be obedient for us. Remember when I told you in chapter 2 that was that whole weird part about sometimes it sounds like he's in the water and sometimes it sounds like he's in the land? Well, that's because this wasn't really about Jonah. 
This was about Jesus. Chapter 1, verse 17 is the best part of it. I want you to go back to that verse and read it with me. It says, And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. That verse is really important when you get to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 12. I want to read two verses for you. Matthew, I lost my place here. My little thing came out. Matthew, chapter 12, verse 40. But just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And behold, something greater than Jonah is here. Jesus is saying, I know Jonah was pretty great and all, but someone greater than Jonah is here. I know he went to the belly of the fish for three days, but I'm going to the belly of the earth for three days. Chapter 2 of Jonah was all about Jesus, who was going to the belly of the fish. Remember what I told you, told you before, there is always punishment. There are always consequences for disobedience. And it's still true today. There is some price that has to be paid. There are consequences for our disobedience. But the good news of the gospel is Jesus said, I'll pay him. I'll go into the grave. I'll go into Sheol, into the belly of the earth. I'll pay it because I want you to be made right with God. The whole book of Jonah is about Jesus so that we don't have to adopt a child. We don't have to pay a fine. We don't have to do a work to be made right with God. We are made right through faith in Jesus Christ alone, not by works, so that we don't boast. We're created for good works. And so when we're saved, we want to walk in them. We want to bring children into our home. We want to serve. We want to give. But we don't do that to attain salvation. So the real question I have for you this morning is have you accepted what Christ did for you when he died on the cross and went to a tomb for three days? and rose from the dead. I'm going to go back to what I said earlier. I believe there are some of you in this room, and you're in the belly of the fish. You've experienced the hardship of your own disobedience and your brokenness. Maybe you feel like you're in Tarshish, so far away from the presence of God. You haven't felt God in forever. You haven't sensed his presence. You've, you've wandered away so far. You even wonder if God cares. Here's what I want to remind you. I said it before. God is in Tarshish just like he's in Israel and Nineveh. I love what Psalm 139 says. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. You cannot get away from the presence of God. It doesn't matter how far you've wandered. He's there and he's calling you to come back. All you have to do is bow down and cry out to him. Say, oh God, I need you. And I want to remind you what I said before. My God is a God of a million second chances. Doesn't matter how many mistakes you've made. Doesn't matter how much wrong you've done. It's not up to you to pay for your wrong. Jesus paid for it. You just got to trust him. And my God will come to you and say, let's try this again. Come bow down before me and I'll show you my salvation. Are you willing to do it? We have a baptistry that's up here on this stage. And this baptistry is up here for one reason and one reason alone. For you to confess your faith in Jesus Christ publicly. I think there's a reason why God chose water. Because it's a reminder that when we go into that water, we are joining Jesus in the belly of the fish. He went into the water for us. But we get to come out immediately. And we get to remember that Christ Jesus paid the penalty. He rose from the dead and we get to be with him. And when we come out of that water, we are a brand new creation. It's a fresh start because God gives us second chances and third chances and a million chances. But you have to come. You've heard the gospel of Jesus this morning. 
You have no excuse now. God is calling you. Come find healing. But every time the word of the Lord comes to you, you're either going to take a step of obedience or disobedience. There's no neutral ground. If God is calling you today to come declare your faith in Jesus Christ and you walk out of here not doing it, just know you've made your choice. Disobedience. Passivity is not an option. Jesus is saying, come to me. Come to me. I can heal you. I can change you. I can give you new life, but you got to come to me. The step toward Nineveh is coming down forward and saying, I choose you, Lord. You're going to get to, if that's the decision you make, talk to one of our, our counselors, and, and we're going to make sure you understand the gospel. And if you do, we have a T-shirt that says, Jesus in my place. And it's a reminder, he took the suffering for you. And before this day is over, before you leave the building, you'll have a chance to come up here, put on a pair of shorts and a T-shirt, and go under the water with Jesus and declare him as you come out of the water as your Savior and you as a new creation. But you have a choice to make. I can't make it for you. Will you choose to obey? Even if God has been calling you for the last three or four months and you've been resisting, resisting, resisting. Listen, you're not going to experience the power of God until you obey. But I think today some of you may be crazy enough to obey. If you are, I'm going to invite you to do so. Got one last thing to say, though, before we open that up. There are some of you who are here, and you're in the middle of that despair and that hardship. And what you need to do is what Jonah refused to do. You need to pray. Prayerlessness, that's you running away from God. Prayer is you running toward God. If you're carrying a heavy load, remember that you have the God who made the heavens, made the sea and the dry land, the infinite one, and run to him. We're going to have prayer partners down front. This is you taking a step toward God, saying, I can't carry this burden on my own. I want to cry out to you, God. And you can find his power. But again, you got to come. I invite you all to stand up right now. I'm going to invite the staff and prayer partners to come around the front and be ready to receive you. If you need prayer, take a step toward God. Come receive prayer. If today you're willing to say, I declare my faith in Jesus Christ, I want to stand with Jesus, I, I, want, to, I want to claim him as my own, then you come. You let us know. We'll help you take that step of faith. The rest of you, you worship your king.